When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal, but it's always beyond reality. Welcome to the program. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thank you for joining us tonight. We're going to be talking about time travel. Rob Shelsky, returning guest to the program. He's a paranormal expert. He's written a book called Mysteries of Time Travel, 35 Cases of Time Travel Intrusion. And we're going to talk about that book and those cases and those concepts in tonight's program. He's also written another book about time travel called Time Travel Invasion. And we had him on the program, I believe it was, to talk about the Mandela Effect maybe a year ago or so. I'll have to have Slick Eddie check that out, but I know he's been here. And he's written about the Mandela effect. He's got a, uh, a bunch of stuff, uh, in many very uh, varied paranormal topics that he's written about. So it's going to be a good discussion. Looking forward to this tonight. Just looking ahead quickly, though, so you know what's coming up the rest of the week. Tomorrow night, Alex Matsua will be with us. Alex is a paranormal researcher and a thespian. And she'll discuss her new book called The Brave Mortal's Guide to Ghost Hunting, as well as Haunted Theaters. As a thespian, she's experienced a few, and we'll be talking with her tomorrow night. Thursday night, Thanksgiving, we hope everybody is going to have a great evening enjoying it with friends and family. There will be a program, however, it will be a best of. It'll be a great interview from the archive that you'll be able to listen to. And then, of course, Friday is a best of. Monday night, we'll be back with Bill Bean, another returning guest on the show. Bill is the spiritual warrior, and he'll talk about his new book called Dark Force Revisited, and he'll share some of his recent experiences with exorcisms. Always a good discussion with Bill, so looking forward to that. And then just rounding out, uh, looking a week ahead here, Ken Hansen will be with us Tuesday night. Judaica professor will talk about the discovery of King David's palace in underground Jerusalem and the recently opened tunnels under the ancient city. Some neat archaeological finds in uh, the holy city, and it'll be interesting to hear what the significance of all of that is. That'll be Tuesday next week here on Beyond Reality Radio. A lot of great stuff coming up on the show, of course. We want you to go to YouTube and find the YouTube channel. It's very easy to find if you just go and search on YouTube for J.V. Johnson. And once you find it, subscribe to it. And that way you'll get notifications when we stream live because we do stream the show live every time we're live. And we also archive programs there. There's about 400 back episodes of Beyond Reality Radio on the YouTube channel. There's no charge to subscribe. It's all free. Plus, we have a great chat room that's very active during the live programs. So that'll be something you want to check out and join as well. A lot of great stuff coming up. Going to be a great show tonight. So we're looking forward to getting started. And we'll do that right now after the break. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Hey gang, it's JV here. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Beyond Reality Radio. Some of you are new to the program, and some of you have been with us for years. And no matter if you're interested in ghosts, the UFO phenomenon, conspiracy discussions, or any of the other topics we explore on this program, we do it for you. 
Our goal here is to help find answers to some of the world's most enduring mysteries. And as we continue to bring you interviews and discussions each night, it's important that we get your feedback and, even more importantly, your support. The media landscape is forever changing, and as it does, we need to be able to change with it. That's why it's important for you right now to go to our youtube channel and subscribe once on youtube just search for jv johnson you'll find it there subscribe it's all free and it'll make you part of our global community in addition beyond reality radio is available as a podcast go to your favorite podcast platform and search for beyond reality radio and subscribe there as well And finally, we have an archive program that you may enjoy as well. This show can be found on major podcast platforms, and it's called Beyond Reality Paranormal. By supporting us in one or all of those places, you can be sure we'll be able to continue to deliver quality shows to you, no matter what form the media landscape takes. As a paranormal historian, I promise you the best and most entertaining conversations as we continue to hunt for the truth. Rob Shelsky is a paranormal expert. He's written many, many books about paranormal topics, one of the most recent being Mysteries of Time Travel, 35 Cases of Time Travel Intrusion. Rob, I was trying to remember, last time you were here, you were talking about um, killer aliens, renegade aliens. What were you talking about last time you were on the show? <laughs> I think it was deadly UFOs and the disappeared. That's what it was. aliens and UFOs as a danger <laughs> to humanity. Now I remember. We've talked about a lot of different things, um, and I remember something about uh, something about being deadly. But anyway, we're talking about time travel tonight. It's great to have you back on the show. How have you been? What have you been up to? Uh, I've been doing really well, thanks. I've been uh, doing a lot of radio shows, That's good, and uh, I'm busy with my books as usual, and I'm doing articles uh, by request for Alien Expo. So, yeah, I'm keeping pretty busy. How uh, about you? Uh, you know, I'm just I'm here uh, bringing great people on uh, the radio like yourself and enjoying every minute of it. You know, you can, when you have when you have a job you love, you don't work a day in your life. Isn't that how the saying goes? Yeah, that may be how it goes. I'm not sure. <laughs> I enjoy getting books written. I'm not so great at wanting to go to do the actual writing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, you know, I, I just want the uh, kudos from it. I don't want the work. That's fair enough. Let's talk about time and time travel. Um, first of all, what, what made you decide to write this particular book? Well, there seems to be a lot of information slowly trickling in of the last few years about time travel, the possibilities of it. And uh, I just decided that it was worth researching. And the more I researched it, the more intriguing it was to me. There seems to be so many things about time travel that it might already exist, that it is possible, all that sort of thing. And uh, I just wanted to see if it really was. So I researched it and figured I should write a book about it. You haven't, uh, this isn't your first entry into writing about time travel. You've written about it before. Yes, I have. The uh, first book was uh, uh, Mysteries of Time Travel, 35 Cases of Time Travel Intrusion. And those were actual cases where people were claiming that there was time traveling happening to them. And some had witnesses, some didn't. I prefer to go with cases where there are multiple witnesses because that tells me that, uh, you know, there's a little more substance to the story than just one person's word for it. Whether or not they're telling the truth, it's hard to tell without corroborating evidence. Let's talk about the concept of time for a little bit, because I think that we all take it for granted. But when you actually try to figure out what we're talking about, what time actually is, it gets a little more tricky. It gets a little stickier. What is time? 
Well, that is the thing that all scientists are wondering. We do know that space apparently is not just space, but it's also time. Therefore, we call it space-time. We also know that it is malleable, that truly massive um, objects such as uh, huge suns or black holes or neutron stars, especially if they're orbiting each other or near each other, can warp space-time. And in the process, it's squeezing and compressing like waves space-time. And it isn't just space it's compressing and, and distorting. It's time itself. Time, space-time, actually flows into black holes. When you're near a black hole, if anyone ever saw the movie Interstellar, they know what I'm talking about. It distorts time. And according to Einstein, uh, time is relative. And both his theories, the general theory of relativity and special theory of relativity, both allow for time travel. I've often wondered, um, and, and maybe I'm starting to be proved wrong, I, I'm not a great thinker by any means, but when I think about time, I think of it almost as a human construct in that if if we weren't aging and things weren't happening in front of us, and uh, what would be there to measure? Would there be anything left to measure if we didn't have anything to show for the passing of time? Does that make any sense to you whatsoever? Uh, yes, we uh, see time as linear, <clears throat> excuse me, flowing in one direction only, and that's forward. Uh, we physicists say the reason we have that is because of entropy. Entropy proceeds from the uh, simple to the uh, disorganized. From uh, You get more and more disorganized as time goes by. That's entropy, and that's an arrow of time that tells us time is moving in that direction. Um, of course, there's the old standby joke that... Um, you know, if everything, uh, if you didn't have time, everything would happen at once. But uh, the truth of the matter is, time does seem to be flexible. It does seem to be a real quantifiable um, aspect of the universe. Recently, um, another guest that we've had on the program uh, near Las Vegas using a very, very sensitive device that measures the passing of time, and I don't remember what the name of the device was, uh, measured an anom- anomaly. Very, very small anomaly, but anomaly nonetheless, where there was a little bit of a time slip. Have you ever read anything about that or experienced anything like that? Well, the smallest unit of time supposedly is a GIF. The universe has the smallest distance between uh, uh, that a thing can be, and that's called uh, the Planck limit. And then you have the smallest unit of time, which is called the GIF, and they don't think it can get smaller than that. So it seems that on the very, very small scale or short short time scale, time does sort of um, become particle-like in that sense. Uh, you, you look at atoms, and you look at uh, pieces of atoms and pieces of those, and you end up with particles, and the same seems to be true with time, that you do have that. Time glitches and time slips, personally, uh, the only thing I've had is... Um, the Mandela effect occurring with regard to that. Other people have, too. Other people have experienced much more major time slips, and there's case after case study of that. We often talk to people who have uh, bouts of what we would consider to be some type of um, time warp, and we attribute that to some maybe an alien encounter or uh, some type of abduction situation. Could it be that people are just experiencing some type of slip in time when, say, you know, three hours goes by that uh, goes by in the blink of an eye and they, they can't account for it? Well, with the case of abductions, a lot of people in hypnosis do remember what happened to them while they were abducted. So I'm not sure it would apply to that, but a lot of people do have um, 
slipped time. There's cases that have been witnessed, for instance, in England, that people were having a barbecue. A thunder and lightning storm came up. There was a dog tied out under a tree. The uh, owner of the dog ran out to uh, remove the dog. He released the dog, and then lightning struck very close by, and he vanished. And the people looked all over for him, couldn't find him. Then they called the police. The police also went out and looked for him, and this is a matter of public record. They couldn't find him. Three days, <clears throat> excuse me, three days later, he just suddenly appeared with one foot in the pond and one foot out. It was right behind their house. And he had no recollection of the missing time or where he'd been or what had happened. And the theory is, is that he simply was not forward about three days in time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess my question was more along the lines of we often automatically assume that when somebody experiences some type of time distortion that there's an alien connection. But I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if we're misdiagnosing these at times. Well, it's conceivable. I mean, anything is possible, but the evidence doesn't seem to show that people who are missing time are, are being knocked forward or back in time with regard to UFOs. It seems to be more a matter of them being abducted and their yeah. memories erased. Yeah, you brought up. So I'm, not, I'm sorry, you brought up okay. the idea of time. We, we perceive time as being linear. Are we starting to see evidence that it's not, not linear? No, time isn't linear. We perceive it that way, but it's anything but linear. In fact, it's a very strange commodity if you think about it. Um, you have loops in time. You have apparent distortions in time. You have uh, time that can speed up in relation to something else and slow down in relation to something else. For instance, if you were to orbit a black hole in reverse of its rotation, you might be thrown back in time, according to mathematics. Now, you couldn't go back in time before the black hole existed, but theoretically, you could go back as long as that black hole existed, you know, in its history, which might be billions of years if it's a supermassive black hole. So, and also, we have gravity waves coming from uh, colliding neutron stars, that sort of thing. And when they strike the Earth, time compresses along with space and expands. It's almost, we don't see it because everything around us is doing it at the same rate, so you can't tell. But we have devices that can. LIGO can uh, detect gravity waves. So we know they're happening. We know they're real. And we know this is the, uh, what happens when that happens. So, yeah, time is a odd commodity. It really is. Yeah, and I go back to my first question about time. It just seems it's difficult. We, we, we take it for granted. We look at our watches, which is how we measure time generally, and uh, yet we don't really grasp the complexity of it. And you brought up gravity. We've, we've mentioned a couple things here. We've mentioned time. We've mentioned space. We've mentioned gravity. Are they all connected? They seem to be. The more gravity you seem to be near, the more it um, affects the space around it, and of course it affects the time as well because it is space-time. Uh, it's we know for a fact that time is relative. Uh, it's been proven over and over and over again with our GPS satellites in orbit, all that sort of thing. Our astronauts, atomic clocks aboard these vessels um, have to be constantly realigned with Earth because they're in a different time zone. The further out from the gravity well of Earth you get, the less it affects it. So the time uh, differentiation becomes uh, a greater disparity. So if you're on Earth, you're having one time. If you're zooming around the Earth in a uh, space shuttle, you're having a different time entirely. And it's a very small difference because it's very close and they're not moving that fast. But there definitely is a lag in their time compared to ours. So yeah, time is, again, an odd commodity, no matter how you look at it. In fact, there's one theory that we can actually uh, stir space. 
and in the process, maybe even stir time as well, and maybe send particles back through it. Professor Ron Mallet is even actually uh, trying to perform that experiment right now. Tonight we're talking about time travel, something that I think we've all uh, seen a movie or two about, or we've all thought about the idea, boy, wouldn't it be back to, great to go back and do this or stop this from happening or go forward and see what the future holds? All those things are just fascinating concepts, Rob. And I think they probably occupy the imaginations of almost everybody at one point or another. Well, yeah, I think they would. I mean, who wouldn't want to go back in time to change things in our own past to make it better or different? I mean, how many times have you heard of the idea of going back in time to kill Adolf Hitler? Of course, we don't know what the repercussions of doing something like that would be, how the wave would spread out, or spread out through time as a result. Um, time is an interesting thing in the sense that we're not even sure that it exists at all. For instance, on the quantum level, recent experiments have shown that Cause can come before effect, or it can come after the effect, where you change the effect and it changes the cause. This is on the quantum level. Uh, they did this with the split-screen experiment, and uh, which is a famous quantum physics experiment, where they send particles through slits, and they have to hit a screen in the back. And they found that the particles acted like particles till they went through the slits, and then they became waves. And when they struck the screen, you would see an interference wave pattern develop on the screen, like rippling waves in a pond when you throw two rocks and crossing each other, that sort of thing. Well, it turns out that if you entangle two photons of light and you alter one, excuse me, after the effect, after it's supposedly finished, then it backtracks and changes the other particle after it's already struck the screen. Now, this is incredible because it means that on the quantum level, cause and effect are nothing. and It isn't linear. It can be one way or the other. And by the way, in physics, they have what they call a dirty little secret. And this is the fact that in um, quantum physics especially, but also physics, equations work in either direction. It doesn't have to have cause and then effect to work. It can have effect and then cause. And that is, again, known as physics' dirty little secret. So... Time may just be a subjective thing for us. We see it as linear because we're sort of trapped in the river of time. But if you're standing on the shore, you see swirls and eddies and even changing course and tributaries of time. And those tributaries might be alternate timelines. Let's talk about time travel itself. Um, The big question would be, I would assume for most people, is, is it possible? Yes, it is possible, according to physics. Uh, Einstein himself allows for it. He says that it's not forbidden by either the general or special theories of relativity. Brian Greene, a noted string theorist, says the same thing, that uh, there's nothing that forbids time travel. So theoretically, we have it. Now, a lot of scientists say that we shouldn't be able to go back in time because you can't change the past. By the same token, they also say you can't go into the future because, as Einstein puts it, it's all there already, the future and the past. It's all there, and you can't separate the two. Yet other quantum physicists say, yes, you could go into the past because if you did and you changed something, you create a new timeline that branches off from your own. You go back to kill your grandfather, you shoot him dead, you should uh, cease to exist, but you don't because you just created a new timeline where your grandfather no longer exists, uh, existing. But then when you go back into the future, you go back into your own timeline, and in your timeline, you never killed your grandfather. <laughs> it's so hard to wrap your head around, for me to wrap my head around some of these ideas. If, um, does, if, if we could go back in time, does that mean that 
that the past has to be recorded somewhere. It has to be continuously playing, to use a, a word that, that I think everyone will understand, somewhere else that we could actually go visit another another dimension, another uh, universe. How It seems to me it has to, con- it has to continually be repeating itself for us to be able to visit it. No, it's just as real uh, for whoever's living then as it is for us now. It, think of it as like a record player with a groove on it. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I'm having trouble with my throat tonight. But if you put the needle down in one spot, it's playing live music, and that's what you're hearing, and that's what's going on now. Mm-hmm. But you can move that needle to another groove further back on the record, and it's playing that music, and it's just as loud and just as alive to you as the other groove was. So if you can kind of think of it that way. Also, you could think of time as like a... Um, three-dimensional or four-dimensional map, actually. We can plot anything on a map in a two-dimensional map by simply having two, uh, two places, two, uh, two points you can draw a line that intersects, and that's the spot that you've got on that map. That's the time. But you can also do it in three dimensions, and you can find a place on the Earth or in space. Now, with time, that's the fourth dimension. So theoretically, you could plot uh, points in not only uh, linear but uh, two-dimensionally, but three-dimensionally, but four-dimensionally as well. And if you could then go to that point, you'd be at that time and place in the past or the future. Almost like raisins in a big loaf of bread. You can just uh, target any one of them. And each of those raisins would be a different point in time. If travel, probably. Yeah, if, if, if time travel to the past is possible, do we have an explanation for why we are not being flooded with visitors that would be coming from the future? Ah, but maybe we are. That's the thing. First of all, if people can go in the past and change time, it alters the timeline. So if you go into our past, in our timeline, and change something, you've created a new timeline that has that change in it. But our timeline hasn't altered. When you come back to the present, you're still in our time. Nothing's been altered. It's the other timeline. Also, Stephen Hawking said the same thing. If there is time travel, why don't we see time travel tourists all over the place in their little silver suits or whatever, silver sunglasses and silver cameras? But the truth of the matter is, if they're here, we probably aren't really aware of it. Uh, if they change something then that, and, and they can change our own timeline, then, well, let's, for instance, say I went back into the past and I altered um, the outcome of World War II so that Germany won. Well, I come back to the present. And if I managed to change my own timeline, you wouldn't know that there had ever been any other version of history. This would be the normal history to you. So how would you know if someone's been messing with our timeline? Because for you, that history always existed. You wouldn't know any differently. I find it uh, interesting as well that um, there's a flood of movies. And I happen to be watching some films on Netflix recently. And in no particular... Uh, way did I make the decision to watch these particular films, but the last three that I've watched are all time travel related. I think time travel is starting to catch on in a pop culture sense as well as people consider this and think about this. But I find it interesting that one of the films um, was had a plot that was similar to what you had just referenced. Uh, if you could go back and kill Hitler is, is what you said, or if somebody could go back and kill Hitler, um, you know, what would be the consequences? And this particular film called In the Shadow of the Moon was about just that. They, there was a time travel that was going back and killing certain people 
that would have would prevent some disaster from happening in the future. And I thought, wow, there's a bit of a moral dilemma here. Um, and I know we're not here to talk about that moral dilemma per se, but that does create an interesting, uh, complex moral situation, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what are the side effects of killing Hitler just before World War II started, or maybe before he started his massacres of the Jews and other people that he sent to concentration camps? Oh, well, you might have saved those six million people, and you might have only delayed the war. Um, Someone else might have come along and done the same thing, and the war might have been even more disastrous with nuclear weapons, and maybe hundreds of millions of people would die. So without knowing the consequences of your actions, it's a very dangerous thing to do, if you could, mess with time. Now, there is some evidence that our timeline has been um, messed with, basically, and it's historical evidence that seems to be showing this. And there's a number of cases. In fact, some of them even seem to be through the use of weather. Now, that may sound outrageous to you, but we have weather control to a certain degree. We can um, seed clouds and make them rain. In fact, this happened in the 1950s in Lynmouth, England. The uh, British Royal Air Force seeded some clouds up on the moors. It caused a deluge of rain. The rain ran over the edge of the moors and down a cliff, flooded the town of uh, uh, Lynmouth, and uh, killed a lot of people, caused a great disaster. And this was a direct result of interference with our weather. Well, if we could do it in the 1950s, how do we know who might be able to do what in the future? And if they can, we seem to have some evidence that they've been doing just that. You have the great storm, of um, England during the Spanish Armada. You have the um, uh, kamikaze wind, now referred to as the divine wind of Japan, because twice China tried to uh, invade under the Mongolian emperor, I believe it was Kublai Khan, and uh, eight years apart, and both times he was defeated soundly because of a great wind. So much of an impact did this have on the Japanese, that they named the wind the kamikaze, the divine wind, and it became an integral part of their culture. They were saved twice. I mean, the emperor was sending over countless ships, 40,000 men, and they were literally blown to pieces on the sea of Japan. And this happened twice, eight years apart. Now, either he had really bad luck or someone was interfering to change the course of history. It's happened in America as well. Uh, In the War of 1812, the British um, landed. They sent their forces up towards Washington, D.C., invaded Washington, began to burn everything in sight, were marching down the main boulevard. Suddenly, a great tornado came. Some call it a hurricane and uh, decimated their troops, and they had to retreat. They ended up going all the way back to the coast, and they saved the day. If they had, they would have taken uh, Washington, D.C. permanently, and that may have been the end of the United States. And, of course, we think of it as a divine interference. In fact, a medallion was struck for it that referred to the wind of providence, providence meaning the supernatural or God. So you have the English who did the same thing. They struck a great medallion because of the great wind that saved England. Now, how many times does this have to happen before we begin to wonder if if when these things happen at a critical point in history, at a nexus point, a major turning point, if someone isn't causing it? It's it's a fascinating concept. And, And as you recount these episodes in history, it does make you start to think about that in far different terms. Um, Let's talk about time travel intrusion, because you write about that. What do, when we use that phrase, what are we talking about? 
Well, we were just talking about it, that where someone is coming into the past and altering history through some means or other. We seem to have had that happen quite a bit in our history. Uh, you can see some sort of evidence for it on the Internet. You can see, for instance, a woman in a Charlie Chaplin movie, and it is a movie, not a still photo, although usually that's what you see. And she's holding something to her ear that re looks remarkably like a cell phone. Now, critics say, oh, no, it's a hearing aid. Of, of a certain kind that was produced in limited quantities at the time. Fine. She held a hearing aid to her ear the size of a cell phone. However, she's talking to it. She's alone in the crowd, head hunched forward, just like everyone who's on a cell phone, yammering away as she walks down the street. Can't hear what she's saying. It's a silent movie. And um, yet she's obviously talking. But to whom? There's nobody around her she can talk to. People are passing by. It's a busy street in a major city. Uh, there's no one with her. So what exactly is going on there? And this seems to happen more often than not than we can account for. It seems that events are sometimes altered, and they seem to be altered for a reason, as if someone is trying to steer the course of history. And that would be logical. If you have someone in the far future who doesn't like the world they're living in, if it hasn't turned out the way they want, and by that I mean a government or a civilization, they might decide to go into the past and change events so that the outcome is more favorable. We have heard and we've had actually other guests on the program talking about these particular anomalies where we see a, a photograph from whatever period it happens to be. And there's something in that photograph that shouldn't be there. You referenced a, a very uh, famous one. Uh, how, how common are these? Are, are there a lot of these out there? There's a tremendous number and a lot of them are physical objects as well. They're called UPART. Archaeologists and non-archaeologists are digging up stuff all the time. The, uh, they dig up ladles, vases, handbells, nails, screws, nano screws. And these are dug from layers of rock that are some anywhere from 12 million to 25 million to even 250 million years or more old. Now, these are found. Archaeologists don't like dealing with them. They call them anomalies. Don't know what it is. Let's just call it an anomaly, an oddity, and, and, and ignore it. Or they call it a hoax. There are literally thousands of these things being found, and they've been found for several centuries. Ever since human beings started mining coal and digging, we've come up with all sorts of stuff all the time. Now, these are anachronisms. I mean, for instance, there's a machined cube of aluminum, obviously machined, dug up from a layer uh, by an archaeologist in Germany, and they can't account for it. So what is it? Oh, it's a hoax. Who would do this? Who's been doing hoaxes for the last 300 years, and not just in Germany, but around the world? When I say hundreds of these things, I mean hundreds or even thousands of them. If you count the nano screws that were found in Russia, thousands of them, around 12,000 so far. These are very small, and some are maybe up to an inch in size. They differ. They're made of different alloys, tin, um, copper, uh, steel, uh, titanium alloys. Now, this is really interesting because we can barely do nano-sized screws now. We certainly could have done them several hundred years ago. These things apparently date back a minimum of 12,000 years and might be as much as 25 or more million years old. And again, they were found all along a river and its tributary in Russia. And we can't account for them. We don't know where they came from, who did them, but some were found as much as 40 feet deep. Now, who's going to perpetrate a hoax that's to the full length of a river and its tributary and bury items nano-sized up to 40 feet deep? It's just not 
uh, rational idea. Rob, I want to jump to our listener line here and see if we can squeeze in a quick phone call before our next break. Hey, uh, Tucker from Florida, you're on the air. Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. What's on your mind? Uh, I just had a quick question. Something I saw um, about a year ago on the Internet. It was about this book written in 1889 and 1893 um, about Baron Trump. And it talks about, there's another book written by the same author. His name is Ingersoll Lockwood. Um, talks about the last, the book's called The Last President. I think that was written in 1900. And some people suggest that Donald Trump could be a uh, time traveler. And that in this book, it kind of lines up, and it's kind of scary. If, I haven't read the whole thing. I, I read, like, the first chapter, uh, also a summary online. And I was wondering uh, what your guests thought about that. Where did you find this book? Uh, you can search it up on Google. It's free to read. It's a whole PDF. Um, I'm not 100% sure how many chapters there are, but I think there's two books, uh, one in 1889 and one in 1893. Really? And who, who was the author? Uh, Ingersoll Lockwood. Ingersoll. This is this is really interesting. And and you said you haven't made it through the book yet, all the way through. No, I read the first chapter and then then I uh, I forgot uh, even that it even existed until actually I saw I was listening to your uh, radio show on yeah. the way home from work tonight. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ingersoll wrote the two books. The, one was Baron Trump, which is the name of uh, Trump's son. And uh, in it, the character, um, <laughs> someone not, might not like this, but uh, uh, he often mentions his massive brain, and uh, <laughs> he always seemed to have a personalized insult for different people, and a lot of people draw comparisons between that character and President Trump. And in his other book, he's talking about the last president, when a president was elected in, I believe, 1896, and he brought about the downfall of democracy. And again, a lot of people relate that as well. Now, another author in the same vein is Jules Verne. And this is intriguing because on his first Men in the Moon uh, story, he had incredible coincidences to uh, our, our own space program, the Apollo 11 mission. It, the capsule that he launched was almost the same size and weight as the actual capsule to the, that went to the moon. He um, talked about where it was launched from, which was in Florida, and that's where we launched ours from. The ship was launched in December, and uh, uh, it just goes on and on in that vein. And uh, when he had him return to Earth, they splashed down in the Pacific Ocean. He also uh, said that they would be weightless in space. Now, no one at that time thought that that was going to be real or happen. No okay. one thought of that, apparently, except him. And he put it in his book. And as it turns out, they were weightless in space. And the similarities go on and on and on. He has everyday people working on computing machines and sending uh, data to each other by facsimile machines, uh, which was very common at that time in the 60s in the Apollo 11 mission. Uh, the, it just... It, it's incredible. Now, he was an engineer for a time, so he could have done all this from his engineering capabilities, and yet no other engineer in that time came up with so many weird uh, predictions that were so accurate, and it's just very strange indeed. So now, are these people from the future? Do they have information from the future, or what? It, it, make, it does make you wonder. There seem to be a few people throughout history uh, that have those types of connections to the future. Maybe Leonardo da Vinci is another one. Would you consider him to be one? He could well have been. I mean, he was way before his time. He 
uh, designed uh, a tank, basically. He was trying to do flying machines. Uh, you name it, he was doing it. And uh, it, it's just incredible. Now, he, either he was a genius and he was brilliant. Uh, the main problem for him was that he simply could not get the materials he needed to do the machinery right. His flying machines couldn't fly because they were just too heavy, made out of wood and canvas and metal and gears, and they just were too much weight for what he wanted. Uh, his hang gliders, for instance, would have worked if they'd been made of lighter materials. We use hang gliders all the time now. So he either was an incredible genius or somehow he was tapping into the future in some way, shape, or form. Again, was he given information along this path? Are we being nudged? Are we being steered in certain directions in certain times at certain points, nexus points, if you will, crisis points where things are come to a head to go in a certain path. It's, it really looks like it could be. And as for time glitches, I mean, there's all sorts of those as well. It just, it's amazing the number of glitches we have. We have that upart, those uh, anomalies. We have... Um, binary code code built into the uh, string theory, which shouldn't be there. It's the same exact code that's used by uh, uh, all our major search engines, Google and Yahoo, for instance, and it is um, dual block linear code, error, self-correcting error code. Now, why would you need that particular code in the basic theory of the universe, self-correcting code? It's very strange indeed. We have the idea of the black-eyed children. We have the idea of time storms having happened in the past. We have people who claim to have been uh, chrononauts and had time slips. So um, we have the Rendlesham incident, which was a UFO incident, but seems to have involved time travel as well. The list is almost endless. Is time travel the key to interstellar travel? Oh, I think it would almost have to be in one sense or another. Uh, again, people tend to differentiate time from space, but they're interwoven. So if you can travel through space to get to other worlds faster than light, you're also traveling through time. It, it's just one goes hand in hand with the other. Uh, if you go through a wormhole, for instance, and mathematically they can exist. If you went through one, you would be traveling uh, between two points in space, perhaps two different universes, and certainly you could be going in two different times. When you go through a wormhole, you might end up, say, on Alpha Centauri, not in our present time, but a hundred, a thousand, a million, a billion years in the past. There, there is nothing that restricts it, mathematically speaking. And we have found that most things that uh, actually seem to work in mathematics seem to work in the real universe. It's how we discovered black holes. First, they were just a mathematical concept. Now we know they're real. Neutron stars, the same way. You mentioned uh, the difference between time on Earth versus when you start to escape the gravitational field of the Earth, time changes. Do we know whether or not um, if someone is aging at a certain rate on Earth and then they're in a, sh a rocket that, that escapes Earth's gravitational pull and, and the, the rate of time changes, does the, does the rate of aging change as well? Well, yes, absolutely. The, uh, it's hard to explain that one, but basically for them, time seems to be traveling at a normal rate of speed. Uh, everything seems quite normal. Everything around them is moving at the same rate. But from us watching them on Earth, it seems as if time for them is slowing down. Mm -hmm. 
the best way to visualize this might be to look at the heartbeat. When you're standing still, your heart is just beating in and out. Now, when you start to move, your heart beats in in one spot and has to beat out in the other. Now, when you're moving very close to the speed of light, your heart is beating in, say, in Chicago and beating out, say, around the planet Mars. So uh, the faster you go, the longer it takes for your heart to beat in and out. So time for you is slowing down. Now, if we go on board the spaceship, everything seems perfectly normal because everything's moving at the same rate of time. When we start looking at the theoretical ways to actually effectuate some of this, um, can you offer some of the ideas that might be the most, I don't know, possible, probable maybe, uh, of how we can actually travel through time um, and and do it deliberately? deliberately? Sure. Uh, The one concept is to orbit a black hole. Uh, that is rotating, and if we orbit it in reverse, it should throw us back in time. Another one is uh, creating a wormhole, and it used to be that we would have to have something called negative energy to do it, and we have a concept of uh, negative energy, but it's the wrong kind of negative energy to do the job. However, some physicists recently came up with a way of creating a wormhole that doesn't require negative energy. Now, this is just a mathematical construct at this point. We don't have the means to do it yet, but that's getting close. Another way to do it would be to travel through space using the uh, Alcubier drive. And if we did that, we are literally creating a space bubble, and we are using it to collapse space in front of us and stretch it out behind us. This would mean that we'd also be traveling through time, because space and time are interwoven together. You really can't have one without the other. What do we do? Are there there bodies, uh, organizations that are assembled to talk about uh, maybe some ethics or moral restrictions if we actually do get to a point where we can do this? Uh, are any of those things being discussed? Oh, they're being discussed, but no one has uh, formalized it in any sort of way as yet that I know of. No committees or governments or any of that sort of thing. But you do have people discussing the moral implications of time travel and what you are doing. And do you have the right to interfere? Uh, endless movies have sort of played with the idea like the butterfly effect, uh, the time machine, where uh, the, the newer version where he goes back in the past to try to save his girlfriend, his fiance, and no matter what he does, he can't do it. And the basic idea behind that was he can't do it because it was her death that made him create the time machine to go back to try and save her. And he would never have created the time machine uh-huh. if he did manage to save her. So it'd be a causal loop that couldn't exist, which is a very clever thing and probably true. So at least in his universe, in our universe. However, time does seem to be very fluid, and there's nothing that says it has to move forward or backward. It can move sideways if it wants to. The basic theory of the universe, the uh, Big Bang, requires inflation. The inflation theory requires a multiverse. In those multi, in the multiverse, other universes may have time that goes sideways to ours or on a diagonal or backward. For instance, you might be able to step into another universe, live there for 19, 20 years, and come back and be come back at the exact moment you left because you've been going at a perpendicular angle to our timeline. Or perhaps you could step over and you'd be in our past, or you could step over and be in a timeline where it's our future. Be exactly the same as our timeline, but further along in the future. And there's actually nothing at all mathematically to stop this from happening. In fact, it's probably, if there is a multiverse, that's exactly what is happening. 
Let's jump to our listener line. This is Pierre in New Orleans. Hey, Pierre, welcome to the program. Hey, good night. How you doing, guys? Terrific. Thank you. What's on your mind? I had a question. Uh, I was looking at um, History Channel today, and they had um, a special on Nostradamus. And I was wondering, uh, with the prophets, when they were having their visions, uh, were they going forward or backward in time and actually going to the point in time when those things that they prophesied actually happened? That's a great question, Pierre. What do you think about somebody like Nostradamus, Rob? Well, actually, I think he's probably a bad choice, uh, because Nostradamus couched everything he did in his couplets, his rhyming couplets, and they're so vague that you can interpret them almost any way that you'd want to. Now, some of them did hit rather close to the mark about Adolf Hitler, uh, but... Just sort of close. In fact, if you want to pick someone who predicted the future better, I think Jules Verne did. So uh, in his uh, science fiction book, uh, First Men in the Moon. But so Nostradamus, for me, isn't a really good choice. What about choice. Other, other prophet types? Uh, you know, Nostradamus is considered to be a prophet, I suppose. What about, I think Pierre's question is about prophets specifically. Uh, do you think any of these so-called prophets could have been time travelers? considered a prophet, and uh, no, I don't think he was, because although he did have uh, hit the nail on some prophecies, he also was wildly off on many, many others. According to him, the Earth should have been destroyed by now. Armageddon should have occurred in the 90s, and it just didn't happen. Right. Other right. prophets, um, I can't really think of any that were too close to the mark, except maybe the Oracle of Delphi, which predicted the rise of the Emperor Constantine by name. Mm-hmm. and the splitting of the Roman Empire, which was very close. And how they managed that one, I'm not sure. So there are some prophets that do seem to have been right on the nose, at least some of the time, and yet there are others who are often more wrong than they are right. Our problem with that sort of thing is that the human mind seems to be designed to remember the th- things that do seem to correlate and right. seem to have uh, come true, but they forget all the ones that don't. It just seems to be human nature. Pierre, before I let you go, are you um, a student of Nostradamus? Have you studied his work? I've studied Nostradamus. I'm more closer to, like, John the Revelator from Revelations in the Bible mm-hmm. and those, those prophets in the Bible, basically, more more than uh, Nostradamus, I would be. Great. Well, hey, thanks for the great question and the phone call. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you listening in New Orleans. Rob, you've got a lot of books. You've done a lot of work. If somebody was new to all of the work that you've done, what would you recommend they start with? Well, it would depend on what subject they're interested in. I mean, if they're interested in UFOs, I think my latest book, uh, Invader Moon or uh, Deadly UFOs and the Disappeared, would be the best choices. For time travel, it would be Time Travel Invasion. Uh, for other books like Cryptids, it would probably be The Mothman Prophecies. Uh, <laughs> there's a bunch of them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump, uh, see if we can grab a quick question here before our next break. This is a short segment. This is Avery from Florida. Hey, Avery, welcome to the show. You have a question? Yeah, um, what about Stephen Gibbs and the uh, hyperdimensional resonator? Okay, that I'm not familiar with, to be honest with you. It's a vast field, and maybe you could explain it to me a little. Um, It's the, um, well, it's the only uh, supposed time travel device on the market right now. It's uh, Okay, well, there actually was um, one by a man called Sid Hurwich. 
back in the 1950s and 60s. Um, he was a Jewish fellow who lived in Toronto, and he supposedly invented a time machine. And we have evidence that it might just be so because something happened where the uh, Jewish government, Israel, awarded him the highest civilian award that anyone can get, and nobody knows why. They almost always say why this award is given to a civilian. They did not with him. He did have what he called a time machine. He did call the police about it. They did uh, come and interview him, and it was in two different newspapers in Toronto at two different times. So he may have been the first with a time machine. Okay, it just um, I've been studying uh, Stephen Gibbs and the hyperdimensional resonator since uh, 2011, but he's been making these machines since the uh, the 80s, wow. and um, interviewed on Art Bell a couple of times, uh, a couple of books written about him by uh, Patricia Riss, um, known as the Rain Man of time travel. Once again, give us the name, and you said they, these have been being produced since the 80s. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Stephen Gibbs, and it's a hyperdimensional resonator, also known as the HDR unit. Um, if people want to find out more, it's hdrusers.com. Um, show you pictures of it and all that stuff. Um, it's kind of a cross between a, a radionics device and... It's got uh, coils that go around your head, and a giant electromagnet goes on your stomach chakra, and you, it's a scarily a 110-volt device. Um, I've been studying it since 2011. I was getting ready to retire from the military after 30 years in 2012, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And um, so I started looking at, because of background in military intelligence, doing uh, analytical work and also doing ground reconnaissance. I wanted to look into the paranormal and whatnot. And so I started, I remembered it back when Art Bell interviewed him. And um, so I started looking into it, and I couldn't find anybody who actually owned one who would talk bad about it, who would say, uh, okay. oh, this is a piece of junk. Well, what, it's you one, know, it's, don't buy it. It's um, one thing, Avery, it's and, one thing to talk bad about it. It's another thing for it to be effective. Do you know of anyone who has claimed they've actually been able to travel in time using this device? Yes, but I think it's a different type of time travel. I think it's the type of time travel you get, the same type of time travel you would get in remote viewing. Okay. All right. Um, I want to get to... Um, actually, yeah, uh, if I can cut in here, I had heard of this, oh, gosh, years and years ago, but I didn't follow through with it because, quite honestly, uh, it was called pretty much a hoax at the time. I don't know if it is or not, but I do know that it was supposed to allow for astral projection and also for healing. Now, see, for me, that's a problem because that's getting into the extreme paranormal, and I need proof. And people saying that something works isn't enough. I have to see actual proof or evidence that it does. Um, it's the same thing with the man from Torrid, very famous story on the Internet. Uh, he was from the future. He was predicting things, and everyone thought it was real. He, he was quite convincing, but it turns out it was a hoax as well. And uh, Well, I shouldn't say as well because I don't know that the resonator is a hoax. But for me, if I can't find convincing evidence or anyone that actually shows me evidence, like with Sid Hurwich, the newspaper reports, the whole bit, I, can't, I don't talk about it or, or try to put it in my books because I simply can't back it up with any real evidence. And I'm afraid testimony for me of people asked, projecting or getting healed just doesn't work for me yeah and just one more question for you avery have you tried yes. this device uh, yes and, and and it's one of those things where it 
you can't put your finger on it. That's like everybody I've talked to who owns one who won't talk bad about it. They say something happened and they can't put their finger on it. And that's why I started. That's why I've been studying it to, since 2011. Interesting. Well, we appreciate the phone call. We're just going to run out of time. That's uh, that's very interesting. And thanks for the call, Avery. Um, Rob, what about the Mandela effect? Is there is there a connection between all of this that we've been talking about and the Mandela effect? Yes, I think so. I, I, when, you, when you say, well, what, what evidence do we have in our past of things having changed? The Mandela effect could very well be that. I'm not talking about just people's memories, because people go on and on about the Berenstain versus uh, right. uh, Berenstain bears. Right. It's, um, I'm talking about actual physical evidence that we found, and there's quite a bit of it. And that's what I'm going by. We have uh, movies that depict globes in them, Dazed and Confused, uh, uh, series, season two of uh, Friends, um, and even I Dream of Genie, which I, I found myself. And I'm kind of proud of that, that I discovered that. <laughs> but it shows, depicts globes in the background, and these globes have land masses on them that we don't have in our timeline. Now, why would someone create globes in different shows over different decades by different producers and prop people? And why would anyone make a, a globe anyway when you can simply buy a cheap one? And Days to Confused is filmed in a real school, and that's a real school globe there, and it shows a landmass to the west of Australia, for instance, that isn't there. So, and yet some people actually remember it being there. They can't remember the name of it. My concern is what happened to all the people in these land masses if they were originally in our timeline and aren't now? They haven't just died. They've just disappeared. They've been snuffed out of existence. In other words, they never were as far as we're concerned. You might have had brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, friends living in that land mass that was about a fifth of the size of Australia, and now it's gone. And the same with the I Dream of Genie episode, fourth season, the Friends episode, the second season, the Bracelet Buddies episode. Yeah, what's, what's, this goes on and on. Now, why it's appearing in movies like this, I don't know. But it's also physical as well with medallions and coins and other things. What's the anomaly in, in the uh, Friends episode? Because I'm a real Friends fanatic. I watch it quite often, frankly. Okay, it's the Bracelet Buddies episode. Mm-hmm. You'll see a globe on a shelf in the background, mm-hmm. and you'll see Australia. Now, just to the southern tip of it, on the right, you see Tasmania. To the southwest tip, on the left, you see another island of a different shape and size. Mm-hmm. Now, this shouldn't be there. Now, some people say, oh, it's a key or a logo. Zoom in on it. It's not. It actually has uh, geographical features. The same with the Days to Confuse. The landmass of Days to Confuse is definitely not a key or a logo. And also in I Dream of Genie, it shows a landmass off of South America, just to the uh, southwest tip of it. It shows features such as mountains and a harbor and a river. No key or logo here. And it also shows a landmass to the west of Australia. Everything seems to show some kind of landmass, different sizes and shapes, to the west or southwest of Australia. Why that is, I don't know, but it's a recurring theme in these Mandela effects, and no one else seems to know why. And um, this isn't just imagination. This isn't just uh, failed memory. Anyone can see these for themselves. I posted it in a YouTube on my channel to show exactly what I'm talking about, and I even zoomed in on it. I used high resolution, and you can definitely tell they're not keys or logos, but actual land masses. Why are they on these globes made by different companies at different times in different decades? What, you, do you want to give your uh, YouTube channel for people to check this out? Oh, they can just Google it or uh, okay. just go to YouTube and type in my name. It'll pop up. It's just easier that way. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, uh, I just do it as a just 
kind of to prove a certain point. I was, frankly, I was so proud of having found that on I Dream of Genie <laughs> that I just had to post it, so I did in a short video. But uh, uh, to me, it's it's important to to show the evidence for those who are who want it. Um, and as for that resonator. It may be real. I don't know. But he was so vague about what it does and how it does. And it's that kind of thing that I tend to steer clear of because I just need more evidence than that. I'm not saying that it isn't real, that it doesn't work. I don't know. I just didn't have enough to want to pursue it and add it to a book. Yeah, that makes makes sense. Um, We had a question in our chat room, and I'm going to try to uh, repeat this as best I can. It was, if we succeed in in time-traveling, uh, to a different timeline, would our bodies in the original timeline die? And uh, what happens to us among all timelines if we cross them? Do we die in the ones that we leave? How does that work? Okay, number one, we don't know if we can cross timelines, although there seems to be evidence for that, too. People have reported and have permanently disappeared to what could well be other timelines and have gone over and come back with pretty incredible stories, and not just one person, but groups of people. Uh, so... The idea is that if we could traverse timelines, could we come back? Well, quantum physicists say that if we went to the past and created a new timeline by killing our grandfather, and if we did go back to our own time, we would still be there. Our bodies, we would be ourselves in our own timeline, and our grandfathers would have lived and not been killed by us. It would be the other timeline where we didn't exist and our grandfather was killed. Okay. It's 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 a tough concept to get. Uh, to grasp, but um, as we start talking about this and we start thinking about the realities of it, do you think in our lifetimes we're going to see um, this? I mean, I don't know about uh, be proven or not, but we're going to actually see time traveling as uh, maybe not commonplace, but just I don't even know how to put it. Are we going to see it? I guess is the bottom line. We may have already seen it. Yeah, that's and what I, that's what I was, I was something about time machines. If they can exist, and mathematically they can, then it doesn't matter when they're invented. Uh, yeah. You can you can go to any time, whether it's invented a trillion years in the future or a billion years in the past. It all of time is open to it, so they can be here now. They can be in our past. They can be in our future. And also, I mean, there, it's an old joke, but if you have a time machine, you can call for a meeting of fellow time travelers for last Thursday. You don't have to be <laughs> next Thursday. So, with that availability, if it's invented any time in the next several trillion years or has been any time in the past billions of years, then it exists now as well, you see. How are you, uh, how are you pursuing this for yourself? Are you, um, you've written a couple books on this topic already. Are you continuing to monitor it? Are you t- continuing to gather information for uh, con- uh, another work on this, this particular topic? Well, I'm going off more into the Mandela effect now. Um, because it, it, I find the Mandela effect extremely scary. I don't like yeah. the idea that someone's altering our past and literally snuffing out people, and not just killing them, but at making them in, so that they never existed and so that we can don't remember them. Do you have relatives that maybe you don't remember that used to exist but now don't exist and never did because they changed that timeline, our timeline? That's what I find scary. So I'm tending to go more towards the Mandela effect these days. Rob, it's always fascinating when you're on the program. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you being here. Let people know where they can get a hold of your books. 
Sure. The best place is just to go to Amazon and go to Kindle. You can get the print versions or you can get the um, ebook versions. You can go to Permuted Press to get uh, Time Travel Invasion and several others, Simon & Schuster as well. Uh, just Google me under Shelsky and it'll all come up. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Oh, I really enjoyed it, sir. You know, I just wanted to take a, a couple minutes here and talk about, uh, and I mentioned it during the conversation with Rob, about some pop culture entries that I recently have come across that relate to time travel. The um, the film that I was talking about before, In the Shadow of the Moon, was kind of an intro, and I just stumbled on these. There's no, I swear, in the last week I've watched three time travel films, and I wasn't doing it specifically because we were having Rob Shelsky on to talk about time travel. I just happened to stumble on them. And In the Shadow of the Moon was about um, a future, a traveler from the future who was coming back and killing people. And a policeman from those that time frame uh, was trying to catch up to this person. This person showed up every nine years to stop them from all the killing. And I won't give it away, um, but it had a pretty neat twi- twist in the end. But it's this whole idea. And I, But as it was happening, I was thinking, is that ethical? That's kind of like... There's a, there's a big brother element to that that scares me. You know, when when a government, and I don't know if this was a government that was sending this woman back to do this, uh, but it gets involved in preempting crime by taking people out. It's kind of scary stuff. Another film that I saw, and I actually saw this one last night, is called Time Trap. And this was about a cave that uh, when you enter the cave, time moves much more slowly than the outside world to the point of like every second is is a whole season, like three months in, uh, in, in surface time. It's it just, it, it was bizarre. And that also had a great twist in the end. And then our chat room has been talking about a film that's kind of, are you a chick flick guy, Orion? You seem like you might be. No, I'm, no I'm, com- I'm not. I'm not. No I mean, do you like? Do you like that kind of film? Depends on the movie. Okay. I'm not big on the, I can't sit through most of those films, but there's one called somewhere in time. That I, I would consider to be a chick flick, I guess. I'm not. I mean, no disrespect by saying that. Um, but I actually love that movie, and uh, I, I I go back to it frequently and, and watch it. And it has Christopher Reeve in it and Jane Seymour, and it's a time travel movie. Hmm. They fall in love across time. Uh, and it's kind of cool. You know, though the idea that they can go back in time and surgically, you know, excise this one criminal or whatever. It's it's the it's so complicated the whole interconnected web of uh, oh, it's the butterfly effect yeah mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. something would go wrong I mean it makes for a fine film I suppose but you can't just go doing stuff I, yeah I didn't say it was a fine film actually I just said it was an, <laughs> it was an interesting concept uh, one more thing I wanted to mention uh, one of my favorite books of all time is a book called Behold the Man and it's a book by Michael Moorcock who um, mm. is a sci-fi author. A fantasy author. And he writes this book about this hapless guy who volunteers to be an experimental time traveler. And when he's asked, uh, what, time, what, what do you, uh, time do you want to go back to? He says, well, of course, I want to go back and see the crucifixion of Christ. Huh. So they send him back. He arrives. Uh, he's a little banged up. When he gets there, he gets taken in by some people. And he quickly realized he was taken in by the people that uh, would have been Jesus's uh, followers at the time. And But there's no Jesus. Hmm. So he assumes that because he came back in time, he messed the whole thing up. So because of his knowledge, he studied the Bible before he made the trip back so he could find Jesus. He starts to fill the role Hmm. and he becomes, uh, in the end, the man that's crucified. Interesting. It's a really good book. It's called Behold the Man, and I have read it a hundred times. It's not a very long 
book. It's a, it's like a hundred pages or so, maybe mm-hmm. 150. Uh, but it's great. Hmm. So if you're looking for a good read, I recommend that. All right. That's going to do it for tonight. Tomorrow night, we are going to be talking about, uh, the brave mortals guide to ghost hunting with Alex Matsuo. It's going to be a great conversation about what we do best here. Talk about ghosts. It's beyond reality radio. We'll see you tomorrow. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.